0: Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. Straight ahead. And as you know, we do it every Sunday at 2 o'clock. And I've got a really terrific... I know I say this every week, but we do have such great guests... If you think you've had a hard year, wait until you hear. We'll call it The Adventures of TV Personality, Food Guru, Cookbook Author, Inventor, you name it, Rachel Ray. And Rachel, an amazing survivor, has amazing tales to tell. And then the one and only Billy Porter. And Billy has written his memoir. And it is an incredible story of survival. He went through a lot. He had a really tough childhood, but he was born with this gift, this incredible voice, that when his mother took him to church, he was deeply religious, Pentecostal religion, and just a little tiny kid. And suddenly this voice came out of him, startling everyone, gifted. so. We've got two fascinating guests for you, so hang on, because straight ahead, the Sunday edition, 2 o'clock, of the Joan Hamburger.
0: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: I'm very excited to be talking to the one and only Rachel Ray. When I first saw Rachel, she was on the Food Network, Mm -hmm. young girl traveling all over the place on a budget, (laughs) and yet I watched her and I thought, this woman, this girl is spectacular. And she grew up to be Rachel Ray. A syndicated television star, Food Network, big personality, the best cookbooks, all kinds of lifestyle stories in her magazine. And I must tell you, there's more, but her new book, This Must Be the Place Dispatches and Food from the Home Front. Rachel, I love this book. It almost made me
2: cry. Oh, thank you, Joan. Thank you so much. You know, I'm 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 53 and I wrote the book to connect with the world because it was the the only time in my more than half century on the planet I can remember everybody going through this kind of the same thing at the same time. Not just the pandemic, but having to pivot our lives and different stories of of loss, and I just wanted to connect with people and write about it and put it down on on paper. All of my life, since I was a very, very little girl, since I learned how to write my own name, I've tried to write things down in in pictures and in stories, and I've always journaled and written my recipes and all that, and I, I just wanted to share that... You know, we're all going through that. It it doesn't matter if you're lucky and you've got a great job and you have a nice house. Everything for all of us is always temporary, transient, fluid. And I wanted to share that, that what I've come to know as my knowledge of home has nothing to do with stuff anymore. It has to do with being able to find your life and were you proud of where you've been and and are you proud of where you're going and can can you find home within yourself Um, what is our ability as human beings to create a sense of home Um, you know using muscles you don't usually use, using your insides instead of your outsides. Hard work gets you stuff and can get you things, but, you know, we felt that we lost our privacy first when we started working here, just the two of us together from home. This was our back cave, you know, in upstate New York. We're in the Adirondack Mountains and very remote, and we only brought our family and very close friends here, and it was our little hiding Space. Your haven. So, I mean, it was our haven. And then we had to open that up and it ended up being a great blessing to us over the many months that would come. Then we lost our dog. Um, mm. But we found such grace in that because we were with her at the end of her life around the clock. I wasn't taping in a studio. John wasn't out at an office or a meeting. He, we were with her. And after she passed in my arms and John had played her music all morning on her favorite instrument of the instruments my husband plays was the banjo. And he played her music all morning. And grandma was sitting socially distanced in the backyard, you know. And oh, Auntie was there. And the local undertaker made her a doggy casket. And he was waiting in a suit
1: to oh, help Unbelievable. Us.
2: And she passed through me. And I felt... Every second of it, I was talking to her and explaining how much she had brought to our lives over 15 and a half years. And then we've had this huge wave of guilt that we had gone through this beautiful process and there were so many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world that couldn't have that grace with human beings. We felt almost guilt and grace um, at the same time and it was so conflicted and weird. And then the, the the show, finally we finished our season, and the first day my husband went out, he was socially distancing and playing a couple of holes of golf with two friends. Mm. He came home that night, I was making dinner, and our house burned down and into the ground. Uh,
1: H, unbelievable. Our house of you 15 really...
2: years— and then our apartment in New York City suffered the first flood of three. We've had three floods mm. in our New York apartment. We have no roof. We have to rip out two walls. We're going to have to refinish the floors. I Ugh. mean, I, we it really was almost weird and biblical. Like, are we cursed or something? It's but What we've learned through this is just this whole other way of thinking about what home can be and how strong the human spirit is. And, it, you know, we all have the lives that we've lived. And as long as you have cognitive thought and the grace of that, you can find th- a presence of being that feels like home. And I, I, mean, I called it that that passage from Unique Melody, a Talking Heads song. I love David Byrne and the Talking Heads write this song that is about grace and finding that feeling of home. and there's this imagery in it of an angel's wings kind of enfolding over you. And that that's, that's what home is, when you get that feeling of, of grace. And we found that, you know, we found it through being totally transparent, which is very freeing in and of itself with the audience, letting you, you know yourself be seen with no makeup. Or, you know, I was shooting uh, four days after my house burned down. With mm-hmm. 10,000 people worldwide making meatless meatballs <laughs> and spaghetti <laughs> with little kids all over the planet. <laughs> it, it's very freeing. It really is, you know. And I, I was wearing uh, clothes that were lent to me and uh, no makeup on my head. And, you know,
1: it's scary. There's a real, because
2: there's, a real there's a real feeling of, of beauty in that, in in sharing with people in such a raw way. And then we got all of these beautiful letters and homemade quilts. And one quilt, they stitched the words they wanted to say to us into the quilt itself. I mean, things that would just move you beyond mind and spirit. Like you just can't imagine um, the connection you get with people when you share loss and everybody has lost something and you know it was people that were talking about fires or animals that they'd lost or humans that had had left the earth without them being able to say goodbye to them and it was just so beautiful this outpouring of love we've actually come to real peace with the process, and I really wanted to put that on paper and share that with people. Yeah, of and course, there's, there's food too, but and the no, food that we've cooked over, you know, highlights from the food we've cooked over the last two years. But um, I really much. just wanted to get on paper our connection um, with the world and how much it changed in the last couple of years.
1: And you know what's interesting, because we were all home or someplace during this, without moving around or doing what we usually do. And the audience connection to you definitely changed as they saw the Rachel that they don't always see, because when you're a television personality, you are that person they see on the tube. But suddenly, right. you're in your kitchen with your husband. Mixing drinks, and you're talking over each other. And clearly no fancy
2: makeup or fancy clothes. Yeah, (laughs) I was
1: ecstatic at that. No makeup, perfect. And, (laughs) you know, you weren't the best dressed at the moment. And, (laughs) And the audience just, like, gave you a giant television hug because you now were part of their family, and they understood and I think that makes such a difference, it's and I love huge it. And difference
2: ma- in our lives. It's made us really examine the word gratitude and to really understand it and live in that state every single day you know i I get up some mornings three, three thirty most days four thirty five at the latest, and it's a lot of work. there's just the two of us when we're here. This season is hybrid, we're a little bit in the studio, which they so beautifully tried to make look like our home. <laughs> so it wouldn't be too right. weird when I walked in in sneakers instead of high heels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds good, though.
2: It's so funny that the, the TV show is now mimicking our life, like our right. real life, like who we actually are is now uh, who we are in studio as well. I've always tried to be an unscripted person, certainly. And to make people just relax and have fun. And Mm. I don't like to work off a lot of cards or prompters and stuff like that. But we've never been where we've been in the last uh, almost two years now with this completely like, you know, Wild West sort of approach to just let it fly. And our programming, I think, has really been Thanks to our wonderful producers who are working a couple hundred miles away in the city. Um, it, we, I really wanted to shift to positive stories and try and lift people up and bring them together. The country's in such a divided place and has been for so long now, for so many years now. Pre pandemic, we were already going into these camps and weird headspaces that I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. All my life, there's been two great you know, political parties in in you know, in in, in the big tents and right. and independence during my life. But I've never seen people so torn and I wanted us as a show to show people that we're doing good for their neighbors and pivoting their businesses and surviving this and, mess in in smart ways. And that's that's where I think we've really excelled. So it may be fun for people to just see us at home and kind of stripped down. But I I also think, I I hope a part of it is that people see themselves in their neighbors and they're inspired by them. Um, That's what we're really going for. You know, no. And the book is definitely uh, celebrities and stuff. And that's, that's great and awesome. No. And and people love it. Yeah. That, that that they've been through, you know, a, a lot too. But to me, what's most important is that people see something of themselves and their neighbors.
1: I know. It makes a difference. I'm talking to Rachel Ray, whose brand-new book, This Must Be the Place, Dispatches and Food from the Homefront. And we'll call it Rachel's Adventures, although <laughs> we don't wish it on anyone. Um, Rachel, as she said, it's almost biblical. Her home burned down, her city apartment flooded, her beloved Pitbull, whom everyone in the audience knew, had a great life, but he died. And no matter how old, it breaks your heart. Uh, by, by the way, Rachel's show, what, is
2: this the 16th season? The 16th season. Is- yeah, and we got Isabu, um the year we started the show, the year I started the magazine, the year we mm-hmm. started our brands, the year I launched everything. Uh, cookware, which is now cookware and uh, homewares, Um, The magazine, the television show, that all happened 16 years ago, the same year John and I got married. We are 16 years married, 20 years together, 16 years married. And it's uh, it's it's that's why it was so important to take stock of that. When the house burned down after we lost Boo, it, it was. Uh, almost surreal to lose the house on top of it when we were still kind of getting over that Right. Um, it's terrifying that's when you look at but look at the life you've had and look the only reason you could lose those things is because you earned those things and lived those things and isn't that the point that that, that a life well lived you know it's just stuff that was lost it was just stuff that was lost, not those yeah, memories I know. And it's not hard. the life you've you lived. Know,
1: it's hard to accept that because stuff is everything from photographs. I know we had, during the hurricane a few years ago, we lost the whole bottom of our house. It just went. The top yeah. stayed, the bottom went. And all the photographs, all the things that we can't replace... Yeah, all
2: my journals, notebooks, John's music charts. My husband is a musician, plays like seven different instruments. Mm -hmm. He's a lawyer by day, but he's a musician at heart, and he has a couple of bands. And he lost decades of his music charts. Yeah, and I lost. The first time I cried about my house burning was a few days after it burned. I think I was just kind of in shock the night it happened. A few days later, I woke up in the middle of the night. I sat up like somebody had punched me or shook me or knocked me on the head or something and I realized I'd lost all my mom's letters and she's legally blind now she has very bad macular degeneration Yeah, control. that's tough. And she's she that center vision is just gone for her. And um I realized, "Oh my god, all of Mommy's letters and her oh. her ring." She gave me her high school ring, you know, when, That's when I was a girl. Yeah. I mean, we lost, and it's those are the things that kind of hit you. But when you think about your life and mommy's still here, my mom is still alive and she's 87 and she's survived this pandemic and so much more. She came out of the depression, you know, I mean, it's there. There's so much more to be grateful for than what we lost. But you really do. It does take a think. It takes a sink to get out of it. It really does. It takes no, a good I'm, long... Okay. Believe me, I understand. May take a couple of bottles of wine too, Joe. Just saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I said your husband makes me want to drink. That's right. When I the see mixologist mix in stuff, the house think, is a good thing to have, have during that. a
2: pandemic. <laughs>
1: yeah. I've got to have that. That was a little blankie that we loved. By the way, you guys bought something in Tuscany. Is it... Don, Is it ready? Of course, the well, you pandemic know, has made it hard. We
2: way before the pandemic. When I was a little girl, my grandpa um, lived in our house, and he was my uh, my no no was my nana. My my grandpa no no in Italian was my um, my my child caregiver. You know, and I spent all of right. my time with him. So I lived as a tiny girl, like a 70-something-year-old Sicilian immigrant, (laughs) and and I I loved sardine sandwiches, even though I got made fun of at school for them, and he taught me how to read. And everything he would tell me as bedtime stories were stories of his young life. He was one of 14, and the four youngest came to America. And he would tell me stories about Italy, the culture and the people and what children did there and how they lived their lives and what they would love to eat and what their festivals were like and all this. All of my life, fairy tales for me were a daydream of one day having land in Italy. So four and a half years ago or so, about then, I found this piece of land with nothing. It had a stable and a stable keep Um, quarter Uh, two buildings hundreds and hundreds of years old absolutely no running water no electricity nothing Mm. no floors no inside walls just two structures on beautiful second land that was um, just lush and covered with rosemary bushes and olive trees and and San Giovese grapes so I made an offer on this land to the grandson of the man who originally owned it. Uh, And my husband said, honey, it looks like a war zone. There's dead animals. There's no water. What are you doing? And I said, I love the feeling of this place. I want this to be our home. And it took so many years. And then the pandemic happened. Uh, You know, we did this thing. I 'm not joking on FaceTime and online and on the computer, you know uh, guiding Italian craftsmen and artisans and talking to Italian lawyers that thankfully speak English better than I speak italian <laughs> and <laughs> and we over the the last several years have renovated the the this stable and the stable keep um, quarters into my childhood fantasy of a villa. We call it Villa Isidore. Uh, Isadore was a Spanish uh, man that was sainted, and he is the saint of agriculture and bricklayers. And my grandfather was a stonemason, and we have all this farming land. So we thought that was kind of perfect. It's Isidoro in Italian, Isidore in it Spanish. Sounds great. So it's uh, That's what we named it. And it's. The inside is great and we can stay there. We're going to go back for, for new years um, and be there at new years to, to to welcome in a a new and hopefully blessed and good year for, for the planet, not just us, but we're going to go back there uh, after Christmas um, and watch uh, the little bit of snow we get there fall. And it, it's not 100% done. There's one room still needs a bathroom and there's stuff we want to do outside, but, but yeah, you're there. it's livable and it's there and it's weird. And you
1: deserve it.
2: Oh, thank you, sweetie. Rachel,
1: thank you. I'm happy for you. And we hope that this new year is the beginning of a really happy, safe new year for everyone. Rachel Ray with her new book this must be the place the book is divided into different sections and amazing stories and recipes for almost everything that you want to make really the book made me feel so good and i know it's going to make you feel good and it's got over 125 recipes all the best to you and your husband. Thank you, Joan. I hope this year brings you all good fortune. Congratulations! Thank you. On a new Thank season, you. and thanks for being you, Rachel. Thank Ray. you for
2: being so gracious and giving us some of your time. Thank you.
1: Bye, bye, Rachel. We'll talk again. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More to come.
0: taking you behind the curtain. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the
1: Joan Hamburg Show. And a real treat. The one, the only, Billy Porter. An actor, (laughs) a singer, a director, a playwright, you name it. A dancer, I didn't want to leave that out. And you know, it's fascinating. I got Billy's memoir, which is only out a couple of weeks, called Unprotected, a memoir. And I sat there and I kept thinking to myself, how did this human being grow up to be this incredible Renaissance man? He had talent from the time he was just a tiny child. But how did a kid survive this kind of childhood that he had to be a black kid, a gay kid, to deal with a very complicated family, abuse by stepfather, a church, so religious there was no room in the church for someone like Billy Porter. How did this kid survive all this? come out of it and not only become a major presence in the world of art and in so many other worlds, but whole. And, Billy, thank you. The book is going to be inspirational to so many people, and it's a real survival story in every single aspect of it. But what interests me is when you finish writing this memoir, and you have already had so many successes in the theater and kinky boots and television everywhere. Was this even after all the success and some failure along the way, a healing process for you?
0: It was very much a healing process. It's very much is a healing process. You know, healing is not linear. Um, It's active Just as love is an action, um, to heal is an action. And we have to show up as individuals every day and understand that we must be active in our own healing. And, you know, what was really significant about writing this book and about being an artist, you know, the subtitle of the book is Healing My Trauma Mm -hmm. Through My Art. You know, and so what I realized in the writing of this book while simultaneously being in trauma therapy is that my whole life has been about using my art for healing. Um, So the short answer is yes. It has been very healing, and it continues to be healing. I'm working on the audio book right now. I'm on chapter 15.
1: Wow. And the more
0: I read, the more, the lighter I feel, Um, you know, to be able to uh, have a space. You know, we as artists are very blessed to have the space to, like I was saying before, actively work towards healing. When I think about Pray and I think about Poe, you know, Pray Tell stood in proxy. His journey stood in proxy for my own healing. His journey cracked me open and grounded me enough so that I could tell the world. And of course, let's remind positive too.
1: Billy, the audience, that that was your TV series where you start in that three seasons and Pray Tell yes. is your character. Yes,
0: and Pray Tell is my character on Pose, and Pose is set during the AIDS crisis, and my character um, contracts HIV in season one and dies in season three from AIDS. And, you know, I held on to the information of my own HIV status for 14 years. I was silent for 14 years.
1: you never told. And,
0: And it was... The healing energy of pray tell. You know, shame is a silencer. And so I was living under the cloud and stuck in the quagmire of shame for the majority of my life. And the the, the proxy of pray tell going through the very same thing that I have gone through in my life, gave me the space to be able to no longer be silent and therefore be free. Um, It's been very profound. Mm. And
1: it's very profound reading it. And as I'm coming along with you with this journey, I Mm -hmm. kept saying to myself, even Billy, with this enormous gift from the time you were three, four years old even before, can humans leave the past behind even with success, even with getting through some of the worst things? But I get the feeling that you did that. That did happen to you as you continued on, which is a really rather
0: extraordinary well thank you and I and I want to and I want to just say that it is continuous. You know, it's a continuous journey. I'm in the middle of healing. I'm somewhere in the middle of it. You know, it's not perfect. It's not totally, you know, I don't know that it, we we ever get to total, you know, 100% bliss right. at all times every day. But um, it is something that feels like healing right now to me. And I am so grateful for it. I really, really am. I'm talking to Billy
1: Porter. And, you know, I don't really have to introduce all of you to Billy. I'll never forget when I went to see Kinky Boots. And I remember, I you know, I hadn't really read a lot about it. I went to the opening and... You just blew the place apart.
0: Oh, and it, thank no, you. it was
1: I and I kept thinking, you know, as a performer, what joy this character and you, you took over the stage and what this meant to you. Because yeah. all along the way, very few things stop you. I loved hearing your story about Jennifer um holiday when mm-hmm. she was in Dream Girls. Mm-hmm. And you heard that voice. I remember listening to her when she was a whole mm-hmm. different person and thinking, I-, I can't believe I'm hearing this coming out of a human being. You're right. Right? You're right. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And you describe you were in your kitchen and this was on a little television in there. Yeah. yeah. And it was. And then tell the audience when you read that there was going to be an audition And you had to go to Chicago. You were a kid in high school, but so (laughs) affected by this.
0: You know, I was 16 years old. Um, You know, I got bit by the bug of musical theater when I was 11. You know, I was in the ghettos of Pittsburgh. There was nobody around me in my immediate family or my community who understood anything about show business and never about theater. Um, and my pursuit started at 11. And so by the time, you know, there were many angels in my life, you know, who entered my life. And I talk about this in the book, just at the right time to like push me in the right direction to the next space that I should be at. And so. You know, when I was in high school, I went to a creative and performing arts high school in Pittsburgh. You know, my drama teacher saw me. She really saw me. She saw my passion. She saw my energy. She really understood my talent. She understood that I could do it for real. And she introduced me to the trade paper. She said, I think you might enjoy this. It's called Backstage Magazine. And it's where all the auditions are. And, you know... I just thought you'd like it. And so she gave me a copy of Backstage, and I went home, and I just I w- I went through, and I read all the auditions, and I circled them. And then in the back, you could subscribe. So I got a subscription to Backstage Magazine when I was 15, 14, 15 years old. So I was getting every Wednesday the trade paper from New York City where all the auditions were there. And I would circle the auditions that I would go to if I lived in New York and I could. You know, that is what I call speaking life into yourself. That is, you know, the the uh, the law of attraction to me. Of course. You know, so when I was 16 and there was an audition for Dream Dreamgirls um, and it was in Chicago and I happened to have the Friday off from school in Chicago. I mean, in Pittsburgh. Um, I uh, took my own money. I told my mother that I was going to a friend's house to spend the night. And I got on an Amtrak train to Chicago for 13 hours. And you were just a kid. I was 16. I got off the train. I found the building. This is before oh. GPS. This is before any of that. Of course. Um, I went to the audition, and I got back on a train and came back home for 13 hours before anybody knew I was
1: missing. Right, and the audition itself was an amazing story because I learned, and I didn't know that, that union companies have to have auditions. I I didn't realize that, even though there was no room. So you auditioned practically to, you know, there weren't a lot of people auditioning. It was you
0: and two of the principals from the show. Well, the casting director and the resident director, who was also a principal in the show.
1: And they loved you, but you Mm -hmm. were just a kid and there was no work. (laughs) And you lied about your age and about high school (laughs) and everything.
0: Well, I didn't lie about high school, but I did lie about my age. I was 16, and you were supposed to be 18 to 25, and so I said I was 18. <laughs> and they st- and I had a baby face, and I still have a baby face. And they were like, yeah, you're a little young, um, but you're extremely talented. And um, once they found out that I had like gotten on a train and come there myself, it was Vinny List. Um, casting director, very famous casting director at the time. He's no longer with us. And he looked me straight in my face and he was like, son, you're going to be just fine. You really truly are. Um, and so I held that in my heart and, um, I got on the train and came back to Pittsburgh and kept on working.
1: Right. Despite the heartbreak that your fantasy to be in this show yeah. couldn't really happen at the moment.
0: Yeah, I cried all the way home. I cried for 13 <laughs> hours on the train all the way home. <laughs> but when,
1: <laughs> but Billy, I'm talking to Billy Porter. When all is said and done, the book now, out for a month and everything, what do you think was in you that enabled you to survive Really horrific things. I mean, even just the bullying from the kids in school, from your own mother not believing that her husband, your stepfather, whom you kids had adored in the beginning, was and had abused you. It was like you were alone in all of this. Well, let the- me correct you. Th- let me correct you
0: there. Just a little slight correction. My mother always believed me. Right. But my mother was disabled. Right. So therefore she needed him. She didn't have any means to take care of herself. So I took myself out. I extracted myself from the family because I was old enough to take care of myself. I went away to college at 17 and I just never went back. Right. And to a wonderful college. Yes, I went to Carnegie Mellon, yes, Mm -hmm. down the street from my house, like literally a 10-minute drive from my house. Uh
1: (laughs) But your mom was so proud and thrilled that her child got into this school and got in on a scholarship, one of the great schools,
0: an acting program, too. Yes, and my mother has always been, you know, I speak of her, you know, she's very religious, uh, Christian, And I always speak of my mother as being a true Christian, you know, one who practices what she Uh preaches. You know, she didn't understand me at the beginning. Um, You know, the Bible says that being gay is an abomination. That's the only thing that she understood. And when she was presented with a gay son, she did the work, the Christian work that was necessary. To bypass her community. And that was hard. They were actively telling her Turn to your reject back. me. Mm-hmm. They were actively telling her to reject me. And she chose love over fear. And I am forever grateful. Um, you know, it has been um, one of my greatest gifts in my life, to watch my mother evolve through her own Christianity. She evolved. Um, And I just love that. It's
1: fantastic. And speaking about the church, you talk about, well, Billy Fashion Sense is incredible. And he was a chance taker. And who doesn't remember the Oscars? (laughs) When he he was, no diva ever looked like that. It was just extraordinary. But a lot of... Thank you. But Billy, you say a lot of that fashion sense and taking a chance and all that came from the church because the church was where everyone could get all done up, fabulous hats and new suits for occasion and new clothes. And it
0: had a big impact on you. Yeah, well, you know... I'm first-generation post-Civil Rights Movement. And our, um, you know, we were taught that the first impression that people see of you is what you look like. So you have to dress. You have to be a credit to your race. You have to dress and look put together. And, you know, at that time, it was about suit. You know, my favorite time— of year was easter and christmas because i got an easter suit and a christmas suit for church <laughs> every year you know and it was my favorite time and you know going to church was fun early on for various reasons for the music and for the fashion everybody knows now you know around the world that the black church is a fashion show Right. always has been you know um because it's a space that we came together as a community in our Sunday best to worship. Um, and, uh, you know, my grandmother was a seamstress, and she would make, you know, the, the, the Vogue patterns and, the you know, all those patterns right. that, you know, used to exist for the ladies. And then we would get our suits purchased. Um And so it instilled in me and my aunt Dorothy, my great aunt Dorothy used to say, you know, dress for the job you want, not the one you have.
1: Good advice. That has
0: always stuck with me, you know, all the way through to Kinky Boots when, you know, I was in, you know, I had always planned in Kinky Boots to, um, for press, you know, to have a look and my look, with geek chic, you know, bow ties and pocket squares right. and colors. And, you know, I, was, I had planned it. I had planned it. And I hadn't been on Broadway for 13 years before Kinky Boots. And so the last time I had been on Broadway was pre-social media. So we were out of town. We were in Chicago. We were in previews. We had been rehearsing all day. Um, We did our first preview. I came out looking like a vagabond, like we as theater people did prior to social media. And a bunch of people took pictures. I signed a couple of autographs. I woke up the next morning, and every single photo was online Mm. of me looking like a vagabond. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, my God. I'm going to have to dress up every day. And I proceeded for three years to dress up every day. To go to the show, to represent the show, to come out afterwards and represent the show, represent myself, dressing for the job that I want, not the one that I had. And look... And
1: what has happened since. It's fantastic. And as you point out, success is the best revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So it's yes, really. it is. I love that. But tell me now, what the book is out, a great success. You've done incredibly well. What's on the Billy Porter list now? Directing, writing, back on Broadway? Well,
0: um, I am back into the mainstream pop music industry. I just released a single called Children, um, and I signed an unprecedented deal um, with Republic Records here in America and Island Records in the U.K. And so these two conglomerates are working together to make sure that I have the pop music career that I've always dreamed of. So that's happening. Um, This summer, I directed my first teacher film for Orion Pictures. Um, It's called What If? Well, it was called What If? Um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, Marvel has a television show now called What If? So we have to change our title. Um, So the the working, changing title is uh, uh, Anything's Possible. Um, It's a coming-of-age rom-com in the spirit of the old John Hughes movies, uh, populated with what the world looks like today. And by that, I mean our heroine is a black trans girl. And um, it's about trans joy. It's about the normalizing of the othered. Um, And I am so grateful to have been given the opportunity to be able to helm telling a different story about this community. So that is happening. That's I have a two lot films that I'm that's on Orion pictures. I have two other films that I'm attached to, um, you know, I'm starting my company. I sold um, a television show that I have created and written um, to Peacock. Um, you know, Billy, you got to leave just, a little time to sleep. That sounds... And that is that is that is uh, that is what is happening right now. You know, trying to figure out, okay, now that mogul energy is happening, which is what I wanted. How do I now carve out the time and the space to also be a human being? Well, that's the next layer. Um, and uh, you know, to be truthfully honest, COVID. And the shutdown and the slowing down and the world stopping, you know, really changed me and has taught me um, the importance of uh, self-care and balance and boundaries. So, um, you know, I am here and I'm present and I'm mindful and I'm available. And, you know, the sky is the limit. There are no... There are no limits, Um, and I'm just trying to move through life with that. Well, we have
1: faith in you. Billy Porter, you can pick up his book, Unprotected, a memoir. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Continued success. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC.
0: The First Lady of New York Radio.
2: This is Ask Joan.
1: It is the season to give, but it's also the season to return. The Better Business Bureau sent out a bulletin months ago about how to make holiday returns smoother. Now, the policies change from place to place, but the bulletin said And I thought this was interesting. Stores are not legally required to accept exchanges or give refunds unless the merchandise was defective or misrepresented. But to keep customers happy and shopping with them, most retailers offer refunds and exchange policies. So what the Better Business Bureau says is get to know store policies – before you even buy something, ask if the store has a return policy. And you can usually find it at the checkout counter or on the back of a receipt. And try to understand it, like read it, before you click if you're online buy. Find out about a product's warranty. Keep the receipt and the packaging and bring your ID. Like don't wait six months. Amazon, it's very interesting. They have a really good return policy. If you bought anything between October 1st and the end of this month, you can return till the end of January. Best Buy, you can also go to their stores, even if it's an online purchase, and they'll give you credit for a gift if you return it in the store. So that's good. And L.L. Bean allows you to return items within a year of purchase for a refund. And Apple, items purchased at the Apple Online Store or in-store between November 1st and December 25th can be returned through January 8th. And all purchases made after December 25th are subject to the standard return policy. Costco is generous. You can return anything At any time, with few exceptions. You've got 90 days for electronics and diamonds. They have to be inspected before returns. So it's just a couple of thoughts how to make the season even happier. We're coming up to the three o'clock hour, and don't forget, you can join us and be part of the Joan Hamburg Show every Sunday starting at two o'clock. Lots ahead.